0: You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all this morning. It's really, uh, hope you enjoyed your hour of sleep because you don't get it tomorrow. Uh, it's the one day, (laughs) and it's a Sunday. (laughs) That's good. All right. Uh, Let me pull this out here. Okay. Much better. Much better. Much better. All right. Um, couple of things that I want to, before we get started in today's message, um, I want to just share with you all some exciting stuff, some really exciting stuff. We need some good news, don't we? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we do. All right. I want to read to you a psalm really quick, and um, maybe you could just make this your psalm this next week, more importantly, the next few days. Um, Many of you have already gone through the voting process. I know my wife has, Um, but um, in the midst of what we're going to see, and what we're going to hear, okay, it's important to keep our focus on the right things. In Psalm 145, this is a Psalm of David. It says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another, they will tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. In His compassion, He has compassion on all that He has made. All of your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations." I'll say that one more again, okay? Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all that he promises and faithful in all that he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all, the eyes of all look to you and give them their food you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all of His ways and faithful in all He does. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him and hears their cries and saves them. The Lord watches all over all who love Him, but the wicked He will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise His holy name forever endeavor. All right. That's a good word today, isn't it? Let's keep that on our lips and in our hearts and on our minds this week as we come into this uh, and finish up this election season. And remember who sits on on the throne, and like Pastor Spud said, he's not elected. He doesn't get removed. He's not going anywhere. He's still there, and he is still moving. One of the most amazing things about that psalm right there that I love, not just about the Lord's kingdom enduring forever, but this. God never leaves the face of this earth without somebody who's going to call upon his name. Scripture tells us that one generation commends the works of the Lord to another. Do you know that there is not going to ever be a generation that is going to come about that is not going to, in some way, somehow praise the name of the Lord okay? And we need to remember that. And let's be faithful in our time to commend the works of the Lord, to declare the mighty works of the Lord, what He is doing. Let our mouths be geared up and ready to praise and to declare the truth of what God is doing on the earth today to the next generation, all right? What a good word. All right, a couple of updates. Um, uh, Pastor Spud mentioned this too. Last week, we took up a special offering um, for Pastor Solomon, who is the missionary um, that we, the team that went from Freedom to Honduras um, about a week and a half ago, we, we took a team of eight people down there. We were able to minister to uh, the, the orphanage there and the several churches that Pastor Solomon pastors, and um, amazing things. You guys blessed the socks off of those kids. I mean, just them watching them open up those backpacks that had their names embroidered on them was just brought us all to tears filled our hearts with joy. It gave them such a special thing. Some of those kids had never received a gift in their life. Ten ten years old and never received a gift, not for Christmas, not for birthdays. Some of those kids had been asking for certain things for weeks before we even got there. We had no idea. We didn't know. Nobody sent us a, Pastor Solomon didn't send us a list of toys. He just said, look, if it's on your heart, do it. One little boy who was three years old had been asking for a fire truck, asking for a fire truck. And when he opened up his bag, there was a fire truck in that bag. <laughs> now, I want to tell you something. I don't believe that's a coincidence. I think that's a God thing. That little boy was so ecstatic. And it just confirms something that we know is true. And, and this is the reason why we do it, is that God loves those people. God loves those those children. God is bringing through them a remnant to even change that nation. We believe that. Well, we brought up, we took, we took up some money. We had asked Pastor Solomon about... His heart and his vision, and he has a heart to move up. He lives in the city just below uh, the mountain where the orphanage is. And he has a heart to move up on that mountain because he has a vision to feed every child on that mountain one meal a day. These kids sometimes don't eat. They can go days actually without eating some of them. And he has a gentleman in, that he knows who's connected with his ministry that's already guaranteed that he'll provide him enough rice and beans to have one meal prepared every day for about 100 kids that live on that mountain. And we were asking him, the team, he didn't bring it up. We brought it up just kind of as we were led by the Lord. We said, hey, Solomon, do you want to move up the mountain? I asked him, hey, do you want to move up the mountain? He goes, yes. Well, I had to use buddy to translate. Well, but he did a good job. <laughs> and so... And so he said yes, and I said, we were asking him some more, well, how much would it cost to build your home? He didn't, he didn't want to say. He didn't want to, he was being too modest, and he just didn't want to say. So we talked a little bit more, and then we asked him again, and finally he said $20,000, and then he put, pulled out his phone. And he showed us plans of his, of his home, and then we walked up to the property where the church was, was just a little ways from the orphanage, And he showed us where it would be, and he showed us where he'd feed these kids, and where the kitchen would be set up, and where these kids would sit out. And and where, I mean, it was just amazing. I can't, I can only explain it to you through my words, and my words are cheap, really, in in, uh, seeing this big picture. And so, uh, as we were going and preparing to come home, I reached out to a friend of mine, another pastor, and I said, hey, you want to go halfsies on this? We'll do 10, and you do 10. And he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good for 10. I said, listen, we're, we're going to see if our people have faith for, for this. And I just want to tell you something, uh, that we put this need in front of you guys. And, and last week, you guys brought in over $3,000, $3,074 to be exact. So that brings a grand total of what's been collected so far up to $14,000. We're still $6,000 short, and we're not doing a special offering today. But if the Lord puts it on your heart... To give something. There's been people who have asked me, you you know, listen, I still want to give. There's still something I want to do. Then be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Be led by the Holy Spirit, all right? Give what the Lord tells you to give, all right? We're not going to stop. We didn't guarantee Solomon anything. He's not counting on us to bring that money in. What we're doing this is an agreement to say, listen, we believe in this vision and we know God can do the work because you're somebody who's got a plan, who loves Jesus and loves this community. All right. Well, the good news doesn't stop there. All right. Uh, Kim and I got a chance to meet with our missionary uh, in Turkey, Pastor Kaya. How many of you guys remember Pastor Kaya when he came and ministered back? I believe it was May. And um, he had been in town, and he was about to fly out. And he called me, and he said, hey, can we meet in Houston for breakfast? And I'm like, absolutely. He's like, I got to tell you some wonderful news. And so we headed out, and we head over to Houston, and we ate breakfast with him. And he said, i got to show you some pictures. And he began to show us pictures of a bunch of women sitting in a living room praying together. And women praying over other women. And women studying the Bible together. Guess what that was? Freedom Christian Fellowship, that was the home that you guys raised $6,000 for to help begin and to build. And since that happened, and these women are so excited, they said, Pastor Kai, you got to make sure and let them know what God is doing. Since we, we, led by the Lord, gave that money, and that happened, over 43 women have come to Jesus Christ. (laughs) But wait, it gets better. <laughs> it really does get better Pastor Kai said listen Andy this, there's some amazing things happening we the stuff that hit and I, I'm going to give you a bit of a geography lesson so stay with me alright we all know what's going on in Syria and what's happening in Aleppo Aleppo the capital city is, is being bombarded there's four different forces that control Aleppo rebel groups Syrian government tied in with the Russian government, ISIS, and other militant uh, Islamic groups. And as a result, these refugees have flocked over the border into Turkey. And also, ISIS has come through as well. And he was telling him and I, he said, listen, it's, it's gotten to a place where we knew we had to move the refugee camp. There is a United States military base there in southern Turkey. And one of the officers came up to Kaya and said, Kaya, I want to I want to give you an offer. I want you to move your mili- I want you to move your refugee camp behind our military base. And here's why I want you to do this. Because if ISIS comes, they can't come through us. If ISIS comes, they can't come through us. They're not going to pick a fight with us. They'll come this way, but they're not going to pick a fight with the US Air Force. So I want you to go right here. And guys said, "Okay." So they started moving thousands, literally at this point, it's over a thousand refugees over to this area. Well, it just so happened that God knew exactly what He was doing in this, because those refugees make a living just going to farmers, different farmers, and just basically begging for work so that they can work the field, take a little bit of crop for themselves to eat, and sometimes they get paid. Well, God and His with love and in his wisdom, plop them down in the middle of about a hundred mile potato farm that has orchards. And those refugees got to be in a place, get to be in a place where they are able to work, they're able to get their food, and they're able to make some money. And so Pastor Kai began to say, Listen, I'm, I'm praising the Lord for this, but it doesn't stop there either. And here's why I'm telling you this. is because we need to connect into the testimony of what God is doing, right? It's a very powerful thing. He had two airmen from the military base, young guys, just a little over 20, come to him, And they wanted to meet Kaya. And they said, we, we need to meet Pastor Kaya. And so they go and they see Pastor Kaya. And they asked Pastor Kaya, we've heard about you on a military base. We want to know what you need. We want to know what we can do to help you. And so Kaya began to tell him, he said, listen, the children, it gets cold. They need sleeping bags. So anything you can do that way would be great. It wasn't just a few days later that these two young airmen come back with a military-sized vehicle filled up with sleeping bags for these kids. This young, one of the young men, one of the young airmen go to Kaya and say, Kaya, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you that When I started doing this, um, I wasn't a Christian. My mom was a Christian. She had talked to me about Christ, but I had not ever given my life to Jesus. About a month ago, I found out I was going to be stationed in Iraq, and I knew that if I were to die there, I wanted my life to count for something. So this became heavy upon my heart. But since I started doing this, since I started doing this, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you this because, listen, God is moving sovereignly by His Spirit in Turkey— and is using young airmen from this country to do powerful things, and also redeeming them to Christ in the process. Our God is good. All right. All right. I'm going to stop there. All right. There's, there's other stuff, but I'm going to stop. It's good. He's going to be coming to visit us in this next year, and, and um, we're, I'm just really excited. I, I, t- I tell you all that so that you can rejoice, that you can rejoice because as we've sown in both finances and in prayer, we have a partnership with this ministry. And God is redeeming and saving and healing and setting people free. Setting some of these women radically free by the Holy Spirit. And we have got a partnership in that. And there is reason to rejoice because of that. Amen? Amen. All right. All right. I hope that made your day. Um, All right. We got to get going. Here we go. Somebody already told me the Cowboys play at noon. (laughs) Hmm. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Really quick this morning, I want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit. We're going to just finish up this series on the Holy Spirit. I've enjoyed this series. Um, It's kind of gone longer than I thought it would. But every time I think it's about to close down, uh, just one more thing pops up. And so I want to talk to you this morning just about something very simple, but I believe very powerful And it involves the Holy Spirit's work in the act of sacredness in our life. And I'm going to talk to you about what sacredness is and the importance of sacredness. And why sacredness has to be brought back into our acts of worship and into our personal lives and our acts of devotion to God. It's very important. Actually, there's a very familiar passage that I'm sure most of you have read before in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Um, I would like to read it to you again this morning. I want to show you something here. It says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That word holy there is the word sacred. That word holy there is the word sacred. Paul goes on and says this, This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. What I'd like to give you this morning, I believe, is something that only the Holy Spirit can do, and it's the Holy Spirit's work in making things and making us a sacred people, of putting the things inside of us that we need that that begin to create in our lives the ability for a sacredness to be built that causes us to walk differently, that causes us to walk as a people just like the scripture we read in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, that allows our life, the works that we set our hands to, the things that we go, the relationships we have, the conversations that we have in the course of a day to actually be worship. See, this is what God wants. And I would even give you this morning this thought to say this, that it's actually impossible to be somebody who is transformed by the Spirit of God without the sacred. It's impossible for us to be a people because the only option is this, that if we're not transformed, we're conformed. If we're not transforming something, we're going to be conformed into something. And the only way for us to rise above the pattern of this world is to allow something that we have been created in, the image of God to become sacred in us and to come out through the things that we say and do, the places we go and the way that we view the world. And what we're going to look at is in Acts chapter 2, another familiar passage where we see the early church after the day of Pentecost begin to understand and put into place into their life as disciplines into their life, things that were sacred. And these things in themselves were not the key. But what it was, was allowing the Holy Spirit to blow, to breathe upon these things, to uh, ignite something in them, to keep the revelation of who they were alive, so that when the message came out, it came out with power. So that when they were called to the places where they knew that maybe things were not going to go their way, they went with joy. So that whenever they faced persecution, they smiled and rejoiced. And if there is anything that we must reassociate ourselves with as the body of Christ, not just Freedom Christian Fellowship, but as the body of Christ, it's this. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to once again identify in the revelation of that which is sacred to be made alive inside of us. Let's look at what was sacred to the early church. Now, I got to tell you, as we get these things and we begin to go through these things, what what I want to make perfectly clear is this, is that this is not a model. As a matter of fact, if we look at this as a model, I believe it becomes law. It becomes death to us. But these were principles. Principles to protect the sacred. Things that philosophically they believed in because of what the Holy Spirit had done. And the other thing that must be absolutely clear concerning Acts chapter 2, verse 42, is this. Without the Holy Spirit, these were dead works. Without the Holy Spirit, these were dead works. The Holy Spirit must blow on these things in order for them to both endure and become life-giving in us. In Acts 2, 42, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Here are the four principles, the way I see it. I believe that there's four things that the Scripture here mentions, four things that the Holy Spirit must breathe upon to create the sacred inside of us. We see here that some of your translations may actually read the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' doctrine. Fellowship the breaking of bread and prayer. The first principle of sacredness is this. The early church believed in the centrality of Jesus in their beliefs. The early church believed in the centrality of Jesus in their beliefs. They believed in the centrality of Jesus. The apostles doctrine was this. You got to think about it because a lot of us, we have the advantage of having our Bibles our study Bibles, our commentaries, online resources, and we see things way, way, way down the road. But the early church saw this thing up close, and the doctrine that they're referring to was this. It was the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Because here's what we have to understand is that they begin to look and they begin to see who Jesus was. Even the disciples who had walked with Jesus on his ministry on the earth, they had just a partial understanding, I believe, until the day of Pentecost. And when Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit came down and kissed the believers and met with the believers and gave the promise to be on the earth with the believers, what took place was this, is that the revelation of Jesus became alive in them and therefore the centrality of Jesus became the one doctrine that they believed in that they understood, that they made as the important thing in their life. Listen, by no means is it the only doctrine. That is not what I'm saying. I don't want you to misunderstand me. But here's what they had in perfect view and why we must too understand this is because the centrality of Jesus Christ says two things. Where am I in relationship to Jesus? How important is Jesus in me? Is Jesus the most important thing in my life? And does it affect the way I live my life? See, they were coming into the revelation that Jesus was the Messiah. He is the Messiah. All of a sudden, in an instant, at the resurrection, they knew, they saw, they believed that every prophetic thing given in the Old Testament had been realized concerning the Messiah in Jesus Christ. Woo! And the Holy Spirit breathed on them, and this became alive. And it wasn't that Jesus was the God that everybody had been talking about, but Jesus was the one who overcame death and overcame sin. But it also became a reflection of who God was to man. And now instead of the 400 years leading up into Jesus' ministry, when Jesus came on the earth of silence, where the Jews did not comprehend and they did not see and they created things, in their own power, in their own strength to try to identify where God was, Jesus came and the revelation of God being near became crystal clear. In an instant, God became near. God became peace. God became freedom. God became victory. Everything that God is became alive and was shown up through Jesus Christ. And so, when the disciples on the day of Pentecost, the apostles came out of that room and Peter begins to preach, who does he preach? Jesus Christ. Why? Because the centrality of Jesus Christ became the message that had to be heard in order for people to be free. And what I'd give you is it's the same thing today. It's not the only doctrine we live under, but it is the doctrine that controls and guides our lives. And the questions we have to ask ourselves, and we have to let the Holy Spirit do, because this is not something that we can just take into our brain and process through our brain and, and have as a mental ascent. This has to be something that is spirit birthed. Is this? How close is Jesus first? How close is He to me? Is Jesus first? Is He the most important thing? And is He guiding my steps? Does he truly own my heart? Does he truly control the things that I do? Do I really pass by everything that I do and, and, and realize if it's honoring to him? Because this is part of what happened. And, and they didn't figure it all out on that day. Nope. They didn't figure it all out on that day. But what they did figure out is that they had to invite the Holy Spirit to give them revelation on what it meant to be people controlled by the revelation of Jesus Christ. They had to trust the Holy Spirit to continually birth that in them. Why? Because they were called by the great commandment and the great commission. They knew in order to do what Jesus called them to do, to love God with all their heart, soul, and mind, and love their neighbors as their self, that the only way that would be possible is if their lives were centered on Jesus Christ. The only way to do the thing that Jesus said to do as he ascended into heaven, to go and to make disciples, teaching them to obey in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other most parts of the earth, was for Jesus to be at the center of their life. There's no possible way that the disciples would have scattered and gone to where God called them to do unless Jesus was at the helm of their life. And that wasn't a revelation. That was a one and done. That was something that they constantly invited the Holy Spirit To bring revelation to them for. We see even as the church began to settle uncharted territory. The church had things that they had to deal with. They used the centrality of Jesus as a guide. I'm telling you this for a reason. Because you need to understand this first and foremost. But you also understand that there's a deep revelation in this. See, the early church didn't have everything figured out. They didn't know what to do with Gentiles. Most of the people that initially got saved were Jews. And so they didn't just have the commonality of Jesus Christ, but a lot of them still walked in the law, some of the fulfillment of the law. But as the Holy Spirit began to push out into these other areas where Gentiles lived, what took place is that Gentiles began to give their lives over to Jesus but it created a conflict and it created wrong thinking among some of the Jews who had given their life to Jesus because they wanted the Gentiles to circumcise themselves in order to be fully saved. And so in Acts 15, what we see is something called the Jerusalem Council. And what it is, is just a giant debate on whether or not Gentiles should have to be circumcised. And as they fight with this and as they toiled with this, what they did is they didn't debate this to the point where it muted out what God was doing. They did not debate it to the point where it stifled the Holy Spirit. Peter stood up and said something very powerful that I want to read to you. And it proves this truth is that they were centered on Jesus Christ. And as we, like them, are centered on Jesus Christ, the things that we face on this earth, we can pass through the litmus test of where Jesus is in us, and we will find truth, and we will find peace, and we will be led in victory. So here's what Peter says. Here's the outcome in Acts 15, 7 through 11. Peter stands up and says, After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, Brothers, We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. Praise the Lord. What is that? They were using the doctrine of the apostles, the centrality of Jesus Christ, the freedom of the grace of Jesus Christ that set them free, that called them into this beautiful redemption to begin to set in motion our freedom. Because the truth that we are saved by grace started to come out even from those early days as they chose to say, we are centered on one thing, Jesus Christ. Does Jesus love people? Yes. Does Jesus want men and women to be free? Yes. Did Jesus come to set them free? Yes. Does the Holy Spirit visit them? Yes. The Holy Spirit always came and kissed down on this type of preaching Whenever the disciples preached the early church, the apostles preached the doctrine of Christ. The Holy Spirit visited. We see that again in Acts 15, where the Holy Spirit, Paul, Peter even says, the Holy Spirit visited him just like he visited us. The Holy Spirit honors this kind of thing. We've got to center our lives on Jesus Christ. We've got to center our lives on Jesus Christ. If we want to see anything restored to this country that we think is missing, we've got to center our lives on Jesus Christ. Jesus has to become first to us. And then Jesus must guide our steps. Jesus must guide our heart and guard our eyes, guard our, thought, guide our thoughts. Jesus must be first. Second thing that they did, which is another beautiful word, is that they had fellowship one with each other. And here's the principle, I believe in this, is that they understood that their highest earthly relationships were spiritually birthed. Their highest earthly relationships were spiritually birthed. There's a lot of relationships that we're involved in, but as those who have committed our lives to Jesus Christ, the ones that are spiritually birthed are the most important. This word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. This is a very, very amazing word that has a lot of different important things associated with it. Things like intimacy. The word koinonia, this word fellowship, means that there's a level of intimacy. And this is not intimacy between a husband and a wife, but intimacy in knowing someone personally. That means this, is that there was a level of vulnerability and openness. And in order for there to be vulnerability and openness, for somebody to express their fears and their dreams, there has to be trust, doesn't there? And the early church expressed this. Why? Because they weren't being guided by their own ideas, and they weren't being guided by their own emotions and their own temperaments. They were being guided by Jesus Christ. It also means this, that their shared contribution, that their shared contribution, the word koinonia means shared contribution. That means this, is that everybody had something to bring. Everybody brought something to the table. I'm not talking about a potluck. I'm talking about something spiritually to add. How many of you believe that today, that you have something spiritually to add to the body? You do. And I would even argue to you that one of the things that actually hurts sacredness within the church the most is the false belief that only a few people control the level of spirituality in a church. See, because here's the thing about this word is that this word means that is that they came in and everybody understood as long as they had submitted their life to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit was kissing the moment. I'm sorry, I'm using that word kiss. Touching that moment. Whatever you're comfortable, the Holy Spirit showed up, all right? They had something to bring to the table. They had something to offer, whether it was a word of encouragement, a prophetic word, if it was something that was edifying, building up, whatever it was. Something that was challenging, a nudge something that God had spoken to them, a testimony, whatever it was, they understood that when they came together corporately in a place of fellowship, and it wasn't just their Sunday morning experience, this was every time they came together, they came believing they had something to bring. Another thing that this word koinonia means is this, is that everybody participated. Not only did they understand they had something to bring, but they were active in the participation of their fellowship. They knew that in order to get close and to to be a people who were empowered by the Holy Spirit and kept the sacred alive in them and kept this moment where they understood this is something beyond them, is that they had to come ready to participate. They had to come with expectation. They had to come believing the truth of what the Scripture says, that we only grow In a body context, when we're knitted and yoked together, and we are moving the same direction. They showed up with something to give, and they showed up ready to participate. And if I could tell you one thing this morning is don't ever, ever, ever undervalue your role in a corporate worship service. Why? Because as you come, and even if it's as you sing, and as you worship the Lord with all your might, you're doing something so much bigger than what you even understand. You're adding to something, and you're creating an expectation and a demand for God to move in this moment, and it's becoming a beautiful, sacred thing. Because here is the bottom line with every one of us here. You did not come for good music and to hear somebody talk. You came here, whether you understand it or not, to meet with the Lord. And God moves in the sacred. And so when we come with our hearts filled with expectation, and we invest like we have something to give, and it's important that we participate, that we show up, and that we give the very best of who we are, what happens is something supernatural. The last thing that this word koinonia means is this. It means spiritual fellowship. The fellowship of the spirit. And here's the idea behind this that our relationships that we have as the body of Christ and what makes it sacred is this is that everything is done through the Holy Spirit for a spiritual purpose. That we're not pushing each other up into a higher economic status. That we're not pushing each other up into, into better sports teams that we're not pushing each other back into super, up into superficial things. This is a spiritual thing. I'm not saying that God doesn't want to advance your, your finances, and I'm not saying these things, but I'm saying the primary purpose of the fellowship and the word koinonia, and what makes it sacred is this, is that we are spiritual people. And as we allow the Holy Spirit to move through us, he pushes us in a direction bigger than ourselves. We've got to put an expectation on that. We've got to put an expectation on that. In order for that to happen, we have to be in agreement to the obedience of Christ. The Holy Spirit has to touch it, has to blow on it. Early church understood this, they they got it. They said, listen, we can't just be sacred in our moments where there's miracles, signs, and wonders. We have to be sacred in our fellowship. We have to cultivate this and push this on. I'm going to read you a scripture in just a minute that proves this. The next thing was this, is that they broke bread together. They broke bread together. And this is actually a dual value. This, this idea has a dual value, the idea of breaking bread. I believe the principle behind it means that they expressed was this, is that they lived under the revelation of the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they put it in the center of... Of their life and their relationships. They put the sacrifice and resurrection in the center of their relationships. See, the idea of breaking bread is, is again another very intimate thing, but it has, like I said, two different meanings. One is it actually is tied into the Lord's Supper, but that's not the only thing that it means. It means actually sitting down and sharing a meal with someone so most scholars believe that what would have happened was this, is that they would celebrate a meal, maybe a dinner meal, an evening time meal. And they would gather together and they would first, like the way we pray, they would actually celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And after they did that, they would sit down and they would enjoy some of that quinonia and they would begin to share the meal together. And they would have conversations about their life and conversations about what the Lord is doing and they had that level and what they were doing is that they were bringing into clear focus two important things their relationship vertically between them and the Lord they were centering their life under their relationships under the truth of Jesus Christ as the atonement and then they were allowing that that atonement that revelation of the atonement that which is sacred to guide their personal relationships. Why is that important? Why did they do that? And why is that important? It's important because our relationships become some of our stickiest and trickiest things in our walk with the Lord, don't they? Even with our own family, sometimes they can be the things that really clip us at the heels in our walk with the Lord but the early church saw something. They said this almost as a holistic idea that they began to understand that they had to not just have the prayer time to be sacred, the worship experience, like I said, the miracles and the wonders to be sacred, but they had to invite the sacredness of the Holy Spirit into their personal relationships. And this is how they did it because as they came and they focused themselves under the atonement, they realized that by that grace, of Jesus Christ that had saved them and set them free. That's how they stand. They got a proper perspective of their self. And every time we come to the table, not only are we becoming coming in a thankful and a humble manner to the Lord, to Jesus, remembering what He did through His body and His blood, but we're also remembering that He overcame in our behalf. And this is now who we are through that atoning sacrifice. But they turn those things, they turn that truth as the Holy Spirit breathed on it, they turned that truth into their relationships. And they began to ask themselves themselves very important questions. They allowed the Holy Spirit to speak to them and, and give them understanding of what happens when the atonement begins to affect their relationships. What happens in our life when we begin to allow the sacrifice that Jesus made affect the way We view and interact in our relationships. Here's what happens is that life comes to them. See, because the same grace applied to us through the body and the blood of Jesus begins to be applied to our relationships. We begin to push it out into our relationships. We begin to extend grace into those things. But it didn't just stop there. They understood that as a people, if they could get this together with the body of believers and allow the Holy Spirit to touch it and to make it sacred, they could in turn take that same truth of the atonement and begin to view the world differently. See, and this is the goal. Because we will never view the, the world through the eyes that Jesus Christ has for them if we cannot view each other through those eyes. And so they invited the Holy Spirit to be sacred to them and to remind them of the beautiful gift of grace that Jesus Christ gave. And it saturated their relationships and it began to affect the way that they saw the world. Transformed them. Transformed them. The last thing is this, is that they committed themselves to prayer. They committed themselves themselves to prayer And this last thing that they allow the Holy Spirit to make sacred in them is more than anything that I've mentioned this morning, a discipline is a discipline. A discipline that we need to return to, a discipline that we need to have in our lives personally and corporately. Because this idea is not just the understanding of prayer. It's actually talking about the prayers. It would be better understood to read that Scripture in Acts 2.42, as that they committed themselves to the prayers. And what that means is this, as Jews, they prayed three to four times a day, in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, and some of them had a night office of prayer, where they would pray in the middle of the night. As a matter of fact, when Peter and John are walking, and they, they, the Holy Spirit uses them to heal the lame man, what do we know about that? At the gate called Beautiful, the Scripture tells us that they were on their way to noonday prayer. And what they did was this, is that they understood in order to be a people who loved the work of the Holy Spirit, they had to invite and have the discipline of prayer in their lives. They had to be a people who were constantly looking to communicate with the Holy Spirit through prayer. The Holy Spirit touched down and changed the way they prayed. No longer was it dry liturgical prayer. No longer was it just something that they recanted and they spoke over and over again, but it became life-giving. They now knew that they had an intercessor in Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father. They now knew that they had access to go into the very throne room of God. They now knew that as they Prayed, God heard them, and their communication was taking place, and the Holy Spirit was greeting them with an affirmation to say, I've heard your prayers and I'm answering. How do we know this? How do we know all these powerful things to be true about prayer? Now, I want to read you something really quick. In Acts 4:23, after Peter and John they got in trouble for healing that lame man, they got put in prison, they got beat up. But here's what the scripture tells us in Acts 4:23. It says on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through your mouth, through the mouth of your servant, our Father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and their people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, who you anointed. They did what your power... And your will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak the word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they had prayed, the place that they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Do you understand what they were doing? Here's what they were doing. Is that they were putting a dependency upon God, upon the Holy Spirit through prayer. Here's the question that we have to ask ourselves concerning prayer, is that if we say we have a dependency upon God and upon the Holy Spirit, how are we communicating that? What time are we actively spending putting an expectation upon God, understanding what He is saying, knowing the will of the Father, believing and getting a hold of the truth necessary and the resource necessary by the Holy Spirit to do what God has called us to do? How or is that happening in our lives? I'm going to tell you something. Listen, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm, this, this isn't you, okay? But I read something by Pew Research, just, and if you don't know what Pew Research is, just Google it. They do these amazing, they run these amazing statistics. And they they ran a a study, a statistic on the the status of evangelical Christianity in in the Houston metropolitan area. They asked uh, about 50 questions. They said, listen, how important do you think prayer is? Over 82% people said prayer is huge. They said, how often do you pray? How many of you pray at least once a week in the low 40s? Can I can I just tell you this this isn't you but but can I tell you something it can't be that way it can't be that way it can't be that way we have got to ask the holy spirit to touch the area of prayer in our life and to again make it something filled with his power that we would be a people again who pray and hunger to pray and have a discipline of prayer so that it becomes a place where we come to that is sacred, that is sacred, that is sacred. Listen, like you, in some of these things, I realize that, man, I've got, I've got a shortcoming in these things, and they've got to get better. But the answer is not trying harder. The answer is not trying to fill my calendar up with some, some things that God's not telling me to do. The answer is asking the Holy Spirit for a revelation. Here's what happened as God moved them into this revelation of sacredness. We see in Acts 2, 43 through 47, the first thing that happened was that everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs performed were performed by the apostles. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit was free to move. That creating room and allowing the Holy Spirit to make these things sacred, the centrality of Jesus, the importance of our fellowship, to understand that, to understand that truth, to inviting Jesus and His sacrifice into our relationships, to cultivating a powerful prayer life and understanding what happens when we pray. What happened is it moved them into a place of sacredness that allowed the Holy Spirit freely to move. It also says this, that all the believers in verse 44 were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give everyone, anyone who had need. That's probably one of the most attractive things that we see about the church when we read Acts chapter 2, the very end of it. We see this insane generosity that happened, but here's what I believe the Holy Spirit did, was gave them the ability to value correctly. See, they didn't get caught into a trap where stuff was so important to them that it knocked them out of their spiritual calling. Their stuff didn't pull them out of fellowship, it didn't pull them out of their, their desire to see Jesus move through them. It didn't do that. Why? Because they held on to it loosely. And if there's anything that we need to pick up on in this nation is this. I'm speaking to young and old alike is this. Is that God has blessed us. He has prospered us. We are still the greatest nation in the world. He's made us a very, very beautiful, wonderful people. But it's for the purpose of being greatly generous. Don't hold on to these things too hard. If your hands are too full of stuff, you need to let go. If your hands are too full of worldly things, let go. Because as somebody who has been called to the sacred and to the spiritual, who's been called and marked by the Holy Spirit to do great things, you cannot have your hands on these things and do the things God's called you to do. Some of you, God has actually equipped powerfully, and you're making a tremendous amount of money, and you're using that as a vehicle to, to, to push the gospel into all the world. And I understand that, and I thank you. But here's the thing is that every one of us have to value correctly. This is what the early church did. This is what the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit touched down and brought this sacredness upon them. This is why they moved with signs and wonders they valued correctly. It said this, that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. You know what this speaks of to me is this, is that they had expectancy. That wasn't a church service. They weren't showing up. They weren't singing songs there. They were coming to do prayer. But what they did is they said, listen, I know God is going to move here. God is going to move here. He's going to show up here. It goes on and says, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. I love this because I believe this speaks of a truth that must be in existence in the church for the church to be contagious. And it's this, that they were a people filled with the joy of the Lord. We've got to be a people filled with the joy of the Lord. But I want to tell you something, joy may be returned when we begin to value correctly when we come in with the heart of expectancy, when we put ourselves and allow Jesus to be centered in us, when we invite the Holy Spirit to do these things, joy will return. And they were marked with joy. And it was authentic joy. It wasn't fake joy. They weren't hyping it up because they had a great band on their stage, getting them jazzed up and the lights were just blaring and going the right direction. It wasn't fake. What it was was authentic And it became something that was contagious amongst them and in the world. Why? Because here's what we see next. It says, And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Here's what happens and what we want and what we need to focus on as the value behind the sacred is that God is still moving on this earth. Jesus is still saving and setting people free. And our eyes have got to be focused in that place. And so we have got to be centered on Jesus Christ going and being and doing what he's called us to do. But friends, if you're like me, I can't make that happen. I must trust the Holy Spirit. That's why this is the work of the Holy Spirit and not the work of our flesh. And so the response we must have if we see ourselves not measuring up to the principles, not the model, because it's not a model. The principles is to say, Holy Spirit, please come. Please come touch my heart. Please come bring this revelation and make it deep in me. Make it alive in me. Make it powerful in me to what you want to do. Amen? Amen. All right. Justin, come on up, man. We're all done, but we're going to have a time of communion now. What I want to do this morning is I want to make this a ministry time between you and the Lord as the band plays, as we... we would allow this to be a time of—you can can bring it over, Jeff. Thanks, guys. Taking a little bit of inventory. Coming into the revelation of the grace of Jesus Christ, because we've all fallen short. We've all fallen short. One thing I love so much about uh, the book of Acts when we read these things— because it's exciting. Man, it's exciting. But one thing that I'm reminded of, they had to keep going back. They didn't figure it all out at once. They didn't nail it all down at once. They kept going and asking the Holy Spirit for a fresh, fresh dip. (laughs) Fresh dip. This morning, as we take, as we take communion, let's be in a place where we're just asking this question. Holy Spirit, will you just center me on Jesus again? Maybe you're right in the middle, and you're just going and going and going, and that's good. Just say, Holy Spirit, just continue to take it into overdrive. But some of you this morning, listen, you you came in, maybe you're a little beat up. Maybe you're a little tired. Maybe you're a little bit off kilter. It's okay. You're in the right place because Jesus is here, and as we come to the table— I know this is what Jesus would want to tell us. Look at me. Look at me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I came to bring you life. I came to give you freedom. You don't have to carry a heavy load anymore. Let me do it. And as you sense that, and as you pray that, just invite the Holy Spirit to come and seal it. Because every one of us here has something to give, has an active role in participation, and and is called of God to do mighty things. Let's stand to our feet. If we could just dim the lights just a little bit. I don't want to make it pitch black in here. Father, I just pray this morning as we come to the table that... Lord, we would be reminded again of the sacredness that you've called us to. We thank you for that, Lord. Lord, as we center ourselves back on Jesus, restore the sacred to us. Father, I pray that those here that are hungry, Lord, to see their prayer life turned into something amazing, God, that you would begin, Holy Spirit, to just blow fresh on that. Lord, the desire that you have to meet with your people, to share your heart with your people. Lord, the incredible authority that you've given, because you are the great and faithful high priest who makes intercession for us. Thank you for that, Jesus. Lord, just begin to transform prayer lives all through this room. Lord, even as a people, Lord, we could make a corporate agreement that, Lord, as a As the body of Christ in this nation, Lord, let us pray. Let us pray first. Let us pray more. Let us go to you at dependency. Father, in our relationships, Father God, in the relationships we have in our families and the relationships we have in the house, Lord, in all these things we trust you. Holy Spirit, come and begin to blow on us to create the sacred. We have three tables up here. We know the way that this works. So as you feel led by the Lord, just come. Just come and take of the cup and come and take of the bread. And come and just be before the Lord for just a little while. And let him minister to you. Please come.